You're now entering a restricted zone. Welcome to Area 52. Hello and welcome to the Area 52 podcast. What an awesome week. We're actually very excited this week. We have kind of a different episode for you guys this week. Um, first of all, we do have to say that uh, Melissa is missing this week. She was super Aww. busy, so we didn't get an opportunity for, to let Melissa sit in on this. But um, she knew what was coming up, and she she sent her blessings and her questions um, over. And uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm excited. If you guys listened to the last episode, then you know that we stumbled across a documentary called Patient 17. It was a documentary that we found on Netflix. Um, it was kind of in keeping with other documentaries. We talked about um, the Unacknowledged documentary and the Stan Romanek documentary Extraordinary. Um, it was suggested to us. We went, oh, this is cool. Patient 17. What is this? We put it on and we were we really dug it. We all watched it and we were fascinated by it. We came in and what began as a movie review and suggestion turned into us literally spending an entire episode talking about this uh, phenomenon, and it was just mind-blowing where we ended up. We get done with the episode, and it, it hadn't even been up um, half a day, and I got a message online from the director of Patient 17, um, a guy named Jeremy Corbell, who listened to the episode and dug it, and wanted to kind of clarify a few things he said hey i know you guys kind of talked about this and i was like oh please you know we didn't yeah i mean I, like i said a lot of it i felt like i was like oh i really hope i'm getting this right right now yeah. but it was such a fascinating topic i'm just i'm flattered that he's willing to be on the show with us and just, that we get some clarification on these details and a little bit more information about this it's right so fascinating and it really is just a fascinating um not just a, a film but the whole idea of it, and not only what the film itself means, but what this means for uh, UFO disclosure, for truth, for the entire UFO community. So, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to waste a lot of time. I want to kind of get right to this. I'm very, very excited to have him on the show. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, let's just go ahead and bring on our special guest, director of Patient 17, director Jeremy Corbell. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm really glad somebody sent me your podcast. It's fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed when you guys were talking about the film, and I think it's important to clarify certain details. Um, oh, so yes. it's a great opportunity. Yeah, and and you know what? That's that's exactly what we wanted because, like I said, we were kind of like, you know, oh, we wanted to talk about this, we want to review it, and then we we felt ourselves getting in deep. But like you said, there was a few things that. Um, that that you wanted to clarify, and I just I just kind of want to talk to you because I I mean I've I've listened to you on other podcasts. I love the film. I love the way you think. I think it's fascinating the things that you've seen and the people that you've been able to interview. So let's just get right into it. Let's just kind of talk about what it is that that got you into um, into this in the first place. Like what lit the fire in you to want to make these films, to want to study this stuff. Did you have an event that happened in your own life? No, you know, actually, I'm a totally accidental filmmaker. I was a jujitsu uh, professional. That's what I did my entire life, really. And, oh, right on, dude. Yeah, <laughs> nice. and that—that's that, kind of that was what I figured I would do for the rest of my life, you know. And then there are unseen events that happen in your life, and things change, and that's what happened to me. So I started to be able to ask questions about some of the things that have always fascinated me. I mean, this is kind of the most fascinating topic in the world. I heard Bob Lazar on the radio with George Knapp. 
back when I was 13 years old. And I would say that is what first excited me about the possibility of visitation from other beings. And, you know, I got to pick that up in my life after my jiu-jitsu career and started asking people questions. And it turns out you have a camera, people talk with you. And so that's kind of how it started. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems to be very true, right? Or they at least want to know what you're doing with it. Right. Yeah. Can, they can accost you for it. But yeah, they right. start talking. <laughs> so yeah, the, the camera became my passport really into the you know bizarre and unusual. My series is called Extraordinary Beliefs. I look at individuals of high credibility with just you know wild belief systems and try to understand how they came to those realizations. So my film Patient 17 is one of many pieces that I have created and am creating based upon the belief systems of people who you know, kind of just believe very strange things. And has any of it rubbed off on you? Like, did you start this and go, I am a die in the wool skeptic. Uh, and, well, let me ask you this. We're, I mean, being fascinated. And I think this is something that a lot of people, um, have to clarify themselves is being fascinated in some, by something doesn't necessarily mean that you believe in it a hundred percent. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, that should come through in my films that I'm trying to give the viewer the same experience I had, I'm, I'm not trying to twist it or morph it into something it's not. When I'm surprised in the filmmaking process, then hopefully the audience is also mm. surprised. There's a twist in Patient 17 that I didn't expect, but I allow mm. the audience to go through that twist at the same time that I experienced it. So yeah, I, you know, I look at these things objectively. I, I do have you know, my own experiences in life that I bring to filmmaking, but when you're looking at a case or a story that's really outstandingly bizarre, then you need to approach it in a way where, you know, you let the other person talk and share their views and ideas. And so really, I'm not trying to prove or disprove the individuals that I'm speaking with. However, I follow the evidence and report that in the pieces. Mm. Yeah, that's, I, you know, I... I love that. Um, and you've, you've mentioned some, some names I want to kind of clarify. Um, and, and let me say this. If you're listening to the podcast right now and you haven't seen Patient 17, I want to be able to talk in spoilers. I want to be able to talk. So, sure. so, uh, pause so, the, so pause the podcast. Go on to Netflix. Watch Patient 17 right now. And okay, you're back. That was awesome, right? Okay, now we can talk. <laughs> there, they can pick up right there. Here we are. So... You talked. You mentioned a couple names, Bob Lazar and George Knapp. Um, for the people that um, might be listening who uh, maybe not familiar with those names, can you um, kind of go in? Because I know you're doing something in your next project, too, that, that it focuses on them a little more. Sure, yeah. I mean, George Knapp and Bob Lazar, they are intertwined through the destinies of their life. In 1989, Bob Lazar came out to the public and made a claim. He claimed that he worked at a sub-base of Area 51 called S-4, back-engineering or attempting to back-engineer alien technology for the United States military. It was at this time he met you know, two-time Peabody award-winning 27 Emmy journalist George Knapp, he, although he collected a lot of those awards over the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. But George Knapp brought Bob Lazar onto the international news stage and was trying to verify and vet his claims. And so that's why we know about Area 51 to the degree we know it. And that's why we know the Bob Lazar stories, because investigative reporter George Knapp brought him out onto the global um, news cycle. George has become a mentor to me in journalism and has helped me navigate some of these bizarre personalities and stories. Because, I mean, and let's be fair, when you're breaking stories like this, it's it's not... 
I mean, it's not the same as as covering the the local you know bake sale at the at the whatever. You know, this is a this is something that even though you might have like you did with patient seventeen uh, evidence witnesses, it's it's still insane enough sounding to to the to ninety percent of the public that this is probably very hard to just present as and here. Yeah, I think George Knapp is one of the only, you know, real news reporters who breaks stories across the spectrum, everything from politics to science to corruption to the mob, and can go in deeply into the UFO topics such as the recent Department of Defense releases. He's been breaking those stories since it's been happening, and people take it serious and they trust it because they trust George's work. Mm, yeah. I I I heard you um recently on on the uh stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, podcast where you talked with those guys and you went into a little bit of detail about the the videos that were just released. Yeah, I had, you know, I was lucky enough to have been working on the Tic Tac Nimitz UFO case two years prior to the Department of Defense releasing that information. And that was just because of my role looking into these things. I've been kind of become the go-to guy when it comes to military individuals who have a pretty incredible story to tell. So I got to see it you know, years in advance and look at it and start to build uh, a group of advisors and people who were intimately connected as primary witnesses to that event. So I thought it was fascinating when it came on to kind of the, the global media and was picked up by the New York Times, Politico, CNN, BBC, you name it. Uh, it was a fascinating series of events. And I don't think people are really seeing the events for what they are yet. But I think through time that will be revealed. You know, I think I think it's such a fascinating world, you know, the world of people who believe in aliens and UFOs and abductions and things like that, because there are so many variants and extremes and spectrums of this, right? Like there's some people who believe uh, the Area 51 stories that Bob Lazar said. There's other people who believe the Phil Schneider stories about Dolce and the underground battles. And there's other people that believe uh, what, what uh, you know, what was the name Gary found uh, with Pro- Operation Solar Warden. And it's like, well, how deep do you go? Like if you believe this part of UFO culture or, or you know, uh, lore, then it kind of makes this part obsolete because it would be even an even greater uh you know understanding so like i mean how far deep in do you go i mean how far how far down the rabbit hole do you believe yeah well i mean my series is called extraordinary beliefs but oddly enough i don't know that belief has to play a huge role in this things are either true or they're not true they're either evidence-based and you can suss them out or they're just beyond that and there's no way to ever know right but what i try to do with my work is try to move the needle forward. I don't pick up cases that I think are just going to, you know, propagate a mythology that we're never going to be able to understand. So I try to pick on cases where I think I might actually reveal new information. You know, for example, with the Bob Lazar story, looking into some of his claims over the past. Well, now we have a window of 30 years. So if those things are lies, you might be able to pick them out in a different way now than you could in 1989 when he came forward. Same with Patient 17. It was a documentary I never intended to make. Alien implants, that's way and was way outside of my scope of reasonable belief or understanding. And I didn't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. But when you got a guy and he's saying he's going to cut something out of another man – and that he believes it has to do with nanotechnology from off-world intelligence, well, then I've got something that I can then show both the psychological and uh, kind of 
created narrative that scientists and surgeons have about these things, but then I can also take that understanding into scientific realms, and like I did for the first time in history, really, is getting this stuff looked by top laboratories and see if elementally and isotopically there is anything strange to these objects being taken out that they're claiming are implants. So that was kind of the, the motivation for me, was to try to get a little closer to the truth. And I, I suppose that it was probably a very, um, I, I don't know, a scary prospect because when you're starting this out, like you, you kind of like you're saying, well, here's, here's what I'm being presented. And then you kind of go, well, I'm putting money into this. I'm putting time into this. I'm filming this. Um, what if this turns out to be nothing? Am I making a movie about nothing? Am you know, I, I mean, I, I imagine, like you said, you know, the way that 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 patient seventeen uh, unfolds, and and that the scene where um, patient seventeen is sitting and he's hearing all of the different compounds that are that were being found in the in the implant, his face. That's like I think I imagine you probably had the same face listening to all of that. Yeah, it, it was it was really intense. I mean, you've got a guy who is a normal guy. He does not want attention. This is really why I continued making the film. Dr. Lear passed away, the surgeon. Right. And then I kind of befriended patient 17. I realized he's not the kind of person that I imagined an abductee or contactee or somebody with these experiences would be. You know, he was sane, healthy as an ox, never, you know, had a emotional distress in his family or addiction or any of these strange things that might influence his belief patterns. He's just a normal guy. And so to see him go through this roller coaster of a ride where he's being lured in by these people with these strong belief systems about what they're finding, well, we just want to know the facts. You know, is this a Tonka truck from childhood? That was the joke that we had going through this whole uh, <laughs> experience. And then when we got the, the lab results back, and indeed do, did not have a typical uh, explanation for the isotopic analysis, which shows terrestriality or non-terrestriality. That's when it got really crazy. That's when we had to look at this you know, from a different light and say, okay, we need to replicate these results as many times as possible to see if indeed this object is from somewhere else. And patient 17, um, despite his his, uh, I would say, healthy skepticism, did have memories, um, at least unpleasant uh, feelings, or were they actual visible memories of being... I mean, he said he'd never remembered seeing a UFO, um, but yet at one point in the in the film, he did talk about fighting off, fist fighting off some aliens in a, in a hotel room or in Vegas. Or, or... Tr trying to defend himself, right? So, look, I, I'm making a film about this strange object that some people claim is nanotechnological, you know, science and technology from another civilization. And then you've just got this guy who's had abductive experiences. So my film wasn't about his personal experiences. That was never the point of the film. But I had to give the viewers some kind of idea of why he'd subject himself to the surgery in the first place. So what essentially that is, is that he has had, and he does not doubt these, you know, he's had to hide them from his family, from his church, you know, he had what you would call abductive experiences with non-humans. That's all he can explain. You know, he does go into detail personally about it, but it's something that he doesn't openly talk about because of the stigma based against it. Uh, however, it was these experiences that kind of 
started the conversation about what this potential thing was in his body. But that was based upon the belief systems of the doctor and the other people, the, the people working in this in this field. But he says, you know, it's not like it's in my lung. It's easy. You cut it out of my leg and, you know, let's get to the bottom of it. Little adventure. Let's see if it has anything to do with my abductive experiences. That's was his point of view. But yeah, you can see his frustration, his skepticism when all the elements are being read to him. You know, in fact, the, the, the guy who was reading all the information to him, one of the twists in the movie, you'll see it turns out he is uh, not an unbiased observer to this whole phenomenon. You know, And basically, when, when they're going through it, he's making all these claims, some of which I could debunk. Like I went to the head meteorite specialist at UCLA, and definitively, the object in his leg was not meteoric iron, like he was being told. In fact, we found something much stranger about the elemental and isotopic compositions of this object. But that was something that was being said to him that turned out to be false. Hmm. hmm. Very interesting. Um, I did have a question for you, Jeremy. We kind of were getting into this a little bit on that um, brief um, review that we were, were doing. And I just had a, a kind of a question about whether or not you thought patient 17 was was hoping for this to be um, something, you know, off off planet, or if he was kind of hoping for it to be something that was just accidentally in his leg, it, it kind of yeah, seemed, he... it, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, what did it kind of seem like to you? Um, it, it, it kind of seemed like it was a mixed emotion for him, like, you know, somewhat of a validation for, you know, this journey that he's been through, because it has been a process. And like you had kind of mentioned within the film, it, it is kind of like, you know, he has a lot of people going like, well, are you going to take this thing out of your leg? Are you crazy? Are you weird? You know, and it's it is kind of an uncharted area for people to go on to. And so I didn't know if he was hoping for that and for some validation or if he didn't want it to be, because if it was, it would kind of confirm everything that he's been through and, and some of the more horrifying memories that he has. Yeah, that's one of the central issues that you do see in the film is that on one hand, if this is, you know, not true, then he is subject to ridicule and to jokes and, you know, to being called, you know, the crazy person. But if we did prove in any way that this is an anomalous material from an intelligence that is highly structured and fabricated, well, then you've got that whole other edge of the sword there, then that could be even worse than your your deepest fears and all the things you experienced. Like you mentioned earlier, Marcus, you were talking about how he was, you know, tried to fight back during an abductive episode. And he did, you know, he, he did try to fight back. He was seeing this abductive thing, saw these beings by his bed that looked like the typical greys. And he tried to jump up and like tackle them. And by the time he got over there, poof, they're gone. So you have to ask yourself, is this a fact, a, a a figment right. of my imagination or is this um, physical and tangible and real? And that's always been the issue with the UFO topic. The only one thing we know scientifically about UFOs that has been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, thanks to the work of Jacques Vallée, is that UFOs represent a huge amount of energy in a small amount of space. Mm -hmm. You know, this phenomenon is real. People are seeing these. These are picked up on radar. Fighter pilots go and try to engage them. They have active jamming on their weapon systems. This is a real phenomenon. The question is, how deep does it go? Because there's also sociological, psychological, and for some people, spiritual aspects to these encounters. The encounters usually go far beyond the physical, far beyond lights in the sky, but they're underreported because of the ridicule factor. Right. And I mean, and also then, you know, you, you, 
once you you kind of look at at this thing being okay well it's definitely advanced it's definitely an implant it's not just a tonka truck then you have to ask yourself and we kind of got into this when when we were discussing it okay well if it is something that's quote alien off world is it something that some sort of interplanetary being is coming down here, sucking up human beings, taking them into a spaceship and dumping them back down? Or is it something that if, you know, you believe perhaps what Dr. Stephen Greer said or, you know, if you watch some of the stuff from like like Unacknowledged, for example, where they talk about um, black ops operations within our government that have disfigured people who um, engage in uh you know, um, scare tactic type um, abduction scenarios to warn off people who are getting close to ideas or to keep the mythos of alien abduction alive. And you listen to that and you go, okay, well, if they're abducting people and they're doing this for the government, then is any of the aliens like are some aliens abductions real or some are government? You know, I mean, it's 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 you kind of run into the question of like, what does alien mean? Does alien mean alien beings or does alien mean alien technology that somehow our government has like you said with whether it's bob lazar whoever has backward engineered and and that's what they're using that's what we're seeing yeah it's it's really deep waters man all of this is really deep waters you know what can we prove and what can we not prove you know i'm not satisfied that this object in the film was a device at all yet however we do have you know one set of data from two different tests that show uh, a very anomalous alloy. And there, there were other uncontrolled tests that were kind of interesting, like the Gauss meter test, you know, appeared this thing was emitting frequency while inside the body, but it was not a controlled environment from my perspective. And we couldn't replicate it once it was taken out. So what we can replicate is the broad spectrum elemental analysis and isotopic analysis to know if this uh, test that we can do does repeat the results or if those results are flawed in some way, which of course the laboratory says they are not flawed. They were triple washed for, for nickel and zinc and there's you know no way we made a mistake. That's their standpoint. you know. And what the evidence is, that's your problem. So all these other things you just mentioned, by the way, we have to be a little careful here in that in the UFO topic, there has always been a signal to noise problem. There are people who have been identified uh, by you know the public as being disinformation uh, individuals working for the United States government. You just made a quote by somebody who at that time absolutely was, Rick Doty. This is a known fact. He admits to it. He's actually a really nice guy. But he admits that that was his job, was to kind of steer the narrative uh, in directions it wasn't really uh, honest. So within the UFO topic, we do have this problem. We have this problem just with people who fabricate and create a fantasy world and try to propagate that to anybody that will buy a ticket. And then we have people also who are trying to change the narrative of the UFO thing because our government is indeed interested as we have programs in every branch of our military, every single intelligence agency within the United States government. So there is an interest as shown by the New York Times and the AATIP program we were all told Project Blue Book ended the study of UFOs in America in 1969. We now know that is absolutely not true right. and that there is a current and active program. Let me ask you this, though. You know, and, and I hear that. And you go, okay, Project Blue Book or any of this stuff like that. But then, and like, I, like we were talking about, when you hear these other extremes and you go, okay, well, you know, I, I watch both of the 
and and again, these can you know, like you said, in, in the in the UFO community, you have um, things that are disinformation, things that have been debunked. But then you got to go, well, is the disinformation disinformation and down the road? And but you you know, you hear things like uh, you know the Phil Schneider legacy, and you hear Phil's talks, and you hear what he says, and you hear the 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 accusations he made of these things, and you go, okay, well, if guys like him or if some of these other whistleblowers that talk about these underground bases or this advanced then, then what does it matter if our Department of Defense is looking into um, Air Force videos of a black dot in the sky? We apparently have underground bases where aliens can do experiments and, and get into alien wars. Like, you know, it's kind of like, where do you draw the line on going, how much does our government know? And, and if so, which of these projects are actually legitimate or um, antiquated, depending on how far yeah. they are ahead of us? Yeah, I mean, you have, you have to pick your battles. I mean, you know, the, the U.S. government is not looking at just a little black dot on a radar. So the Tic Tac Nimitz UFO case was viewed, the, the Tic Tac uh, vehicle was viewed by at least eight pilots on a single day, on November 14th, 2004. I mean, and then we had multiple different types of radar. We have uh, so many witnesses. That was an event that was such high national security, um, you know, status that you had multiple agencies cooperating to basically find out more, including the DIA on this subject. So you've got that kind of thing where you have mountains and mountains of evidence, and that should be very compelling to you. That is something that we can back up with so many different ways. When you come into the narrative stories and the, and what I, most of which sound fictional to me, uh, but these narrative stories by individuals who have nothing to back up their story, then you have to kind of question, well, is that going to be high priority for me to put my faith into and to really believe that to be true? So I'd say use your head. Right. You know, go go to things where there's multiple sources of information that are verifiable. That's the one of the things really missing in the UFO culture right now is looking at it from multiple perspectives and really just using common sense. There is a phenomenon. Let's not belittle that. The phenomenon is very real. But if we fantasize and fictionalize all this other stuff, then we just cloud the entire ocean of truth. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm with you. I, I mean, I, it, it, it's like you know, I hear this stuff, and I, and I, and I, as as a person with an open mind, I really do um, try my best to n- not go too far down these extremes, but. Because of what we do here and when we look into this stuff and you do hear, you know, um, you, you know, you hear these crazy stories and like you talk about things with with evidence, like, for instance, Phil Schneider. And for those people who've listened to our, our podcast before, they talk about, you know, Phil Schneider didn't necessarily have evidence, but he he was a very smart man who gave two very in in interesting talks he had the scars that he had the deformities that he had on his chest and his fingers and then he was found strangled to death in a way that seemed impossible to be able to do covered in bruises and you kind of go okay well you know granted this guy didn't have any evidence or and his claims are fantastical and insane that there's some underground alien war happening in dolce new mexico however to find him suicided in a way that was skeptic i mean skeptical at best to look at that and go this man just killed himself you go okay well so what does that mean and then you start kind of going down even more of these rabbit holes like okay well if that's a thing then what is this thing and if that's a thing then what is this thing and how far you know uh for instance solar warden you know that was discovered back in in the 90s and there was a reference to 
Um, and we mentioned on the last episode where Reagan had made a comment in one of his memoirs in the 80s uh, that he had met with somebody from NASA, the Department of Defense, and they were talking about these spaceships that they had that could, right now we have the capacity to have ships that can have 30 people in orbit. And it's like, well, what are you talking about, Reagan? We, we've never had more than, you know, that's not something we have now. So, you know, you kind of go, okay, well, what, what is it? You know, like we talked about, and I apologize for running on here, but on our last episode, you know, you kind of, we got into the idea that some of these videos of astronauts in the ISS with what appear to be wires or green screen glitches or what have you. And it's like, okay, well, how much of this stuff, these project blue books, these low level things that they're looking into are smoke screens. If you truly believe that the U.S. government, our Department of Defense, Area 51, these places that clearly, even if you're on SEAL Team 6, you don't get to go to Area 51 and have what they have there. So no matter how far up in the military or Air Force you are, I mean, why wouldn't you try, why wouldn't you test some new technology in front of the guys who are flying your best technology, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Look, man, you go down rabbit holes, you're going to find rabbits for sure. (laughs) (laughs) that's a a great statement but 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 when uh, but let's be fair here when we're talking about um these type of things when you're making a movie about a possible alien uh implant when you're talking about these things you have to kind of step back and go okay well within the world of alien phenomena where does this fit in where where is this implant fit in if this did come out of a person and if this is in fact some sort of alien technology then what are the implications of that is it that and and we said this last week why would an alien technology or an alien civilization who's so far advanced that they have inter inter uh, planetary intergalactic interdimensional even travel they're metaphysical beings that can disappear in a second they can mess with our heads they can mess with our minds they can do all these different things they have technologies that we can't even fathom why would they need to come down here and be secretive why would they need to come down here and steal anybody in the dead of night why wouldn't you just fly down have a big claw that comes out grab seven people at a mall and fly off why would you care what the feeder mice think right Right. I, I mean, look, you, you're right. You do have to put this into perspective. If any of the, if even just looking into this, I always thought it was totally bizarre that if there was, if there was an advanced intelligence that it would need to chip anybody in this kind of rudimentary kind of way, like we do to mm-hmm. deer right. or cattle, you know, when maybe there's a much kind of more sophisticated way, maybe our DNA is, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, amplification we you know we can get like an id off of that and wow that would be cool that would be a way to track people so what is this physical not very impressive object you know Sounds just looking human. at it right right it you know it's, it's very strange um that's why the results are even stranger when it comes to the isotopic analysis you know but how does it all fit in well that's just determined if it, there's any truth to it or not obviously the abductive phenomenon does have merit. You have, you know, really millions of people that have similar types of experiences. You have John Mack from Harvard University, head of psychiatry at the time. He even went on the Oprah Winfrey show and looked at this over years and years and wrote books about it and said this is not fictitious and something of the inner mind, that there is actual physical uh, reality to this phenomenon. You know, that's somebody who took it seriously and looked at it. So I, I did take it seriously because of the history that it has within the UFO study and, and the UFO world. Uh, it is a niche topic, and there are bigger ones you know, that I am now looking at. But yeah, I do think it is important to take these things um, seriously enough to look at them and ask the hard questions. 
Have you ever seen a UFO? You know, I can't say that I've seen, I've always wanted to see like a mothership, like a silver disc, something really impressive. You just collide with it like a car crash and you're like, there is no doubt in my mind. That's a a a thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a flying saucer, right? And, you know, trust me, everybody tells me there's still time. I mean, I've spent a lot of time at Skinwalker Ranch, which is in in Utah, like you guys. So you've actually been uh, there. Yeah, I have. I'm making a film on it. It will be out uh, middle of this year. See, because as a, as a Utah, as a somebody who is known in this area, as people who are known for doing this, as people who are known for being paranormal investigators, we have had, I don't know how many people say, oh, you guys should go to Skinwalker Ranch. And we're like, yeah, it's not that easy. You can't just go to Skinwalker yeah. Ranch, man. Yes. That's not something that a lot of people get an opportunity to do. So... You're saying that you're saying your next project is is about Skinwalker Ranch and that you've you've actually been there and 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 witnessed have you witnessed the phenomenon that takes place there? Well, yeah, even cooler, you know, than that, it's not just about Skinwalker Ranch, it's just if I'm standing, you know, on the outside of the gate, and you know, I have been invited. And and you're right, you can't just go there. It is private land and you know, the the whole territory around there is sovereign nation. I mean, it's more than just trespassing. Uh, people are not welcome just to show up there. And that was actually the problem with the scientific study that was being done there by Bigelow's group called NIDS, uh, and also BAS, which was the DIA uh, partnership that they made, the Defense Intelligence Partnership that they made with uh, Bigelow, right? So all of that scientific study, the, the pr- problems were people coming there and trying to looky-loo and cause issues for the investigation. But yes, I have been there. And the reason I had access is because my mentor, George Knapp, wrote the book, Hunt for the Skinwalker with Dr. Colin Kelleher, who is head of NIDS. And as a journalist, he was, during the time that Bigelow owned it, you know, he was not allowed to make the documentary he always wanted to make. He has almost 25 years of footage from those investigations, just collecting stuff over time. So I basically got to raid his archives and started pulling stuff out and kind of pushed and prodded and said, look, it's time. This story can be told now. And he, he agrees. It, it is time. This story can be told now that the ranch was sold and purchased by another individual. The events of Skinwalker Ranch are not isolated to the ranch itself. The, the, the ranch was bought in 1996 by Robert Bigelow as a living laboratory to study the phenomenon. But the phenomenon has a rich history. As long as humans have lived there in the Uinta Basin, these experiences, everything from UFOs to creatures, have been occurring. So this film will have a look, not just from the outside of the gates, but also from the inside during the time when it was the largest scientific investigation of a paranormal hotspot in history. So I'm very excited. You know, hopefully Whoa. this film will reveal a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of floored <laughs> right now. I'm very excited I've, too, Jeremy. I've, I've, I've seen all the fictitious. I mean, there was that, that, what was it? The movie came out a few years ago that was supposedly like set at Skinwalker Ranch where it was like the found footage film. And, and you know, they get into the whole idea. And for those people who are listening to the podcast, I'm, I would assume most of you have heard of Skinwalker Ranch. We have a, um, a big listenership overseas. So for all our, our UK and European listeners, Skinwalker Ranch is a, is a fascinating place that, like you said, has phenomenons everywhere from um, UFOs and orbs and the paranormal to people seeing what appear to be giant otherworldly creatures, werewolves. I mean, the the amount of, of r- rumors and reports that come out. I mean, I kind of imagine that that's 
kind of what happens there. Like, you know, people go, oh, we saw something weird. And then 25 people down the line, it's like, a werewolf attacked us coming out of a UFO. Like, it just gets built up. But you've been there. You've Yeah, and that's, that's actually not the case. Um, you would expect that, that a game of telephone amplifies these outrageous stories, right? But in fact, these stories are very well guarded and kind of hid from the, from the public because the, the, the expressions of the phenomena, the display of, of the phenomenon there is so outrageous. It's kind of like the paranormal Disneyland. You know, we're talking about Skinwalker Ranch, 480-acre parcel of land in northeastern Utah, and it was known for, for centuries, for generations, as being a place of high activity. It was identified by Bigelow as a place of such and the scientists working there. And no, it's not a bad game of telephone. Uh, the scientists who worked there actually saw and experienced, although it was difficult to record these things, they had high technology, night vision all the way back then, and they were able to uh, observe some of the most bizarre phenomena. It's all documented in the book. Um, so no, it's not a bad game of telephone. These things appear to actually be happening in this area. So, well, I guess this is my frustration then, right? Like if we got a place where we know things happen, because I think that's one of the biggest problems as people who are involved and, and fascinated by the paranormal, we're always kind of, um, Danny and I have always kind of been bugged by the idea of paranormal expert because with the paranormal and to be an expert, you'd have to get something to be able to repeat or, uh, happen on command or, you know, even the most haunted places in the world, you can go there and you might have an off night. So if you go to Skinwalker Ranch and you have all this and there really is legitimate phenomenon that is happening, and you say it's difficult to record, but way back then, now we, I mean, there must be images of, of some of this insane stuff that, that people can't, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to wrap their minds around. Why, why can't, why can't they go? Yeah, look, we're at Skinwalker Ranch. Here's a, here's a being, here's a thing, here's an orb, here's a ship. We, we saw this. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you know, that is one of the goals of the film is to take something that, you know, was very elusive. And it did, you know, at the very beginning, the, the man who was on the ranch when this all kind of started, you know, publicly, uh, he advised the scientific team, look, you need to hunt this thing like an intelligent animal. You need to stalk it. You can't just run in here with lights and cameras and try to document everything. That's not the way it works. It does make mistakes, he said. But I would have to – he was talking about how he would stalk this thing at night and he'd wait hours and hours upon hours till dawn sometimes just to get a glimpse of what was going on uh, where, where it didn't notice him. So if you imagine this thing to be, have an intelligence, you know, to be conscious or aware and, and kind of like a trickster in some ways – then that approach of just guns ablazing wouldn't be the best approach. And it and turns out it wasn't. Yes, there is physical evidence. That's something that I want to focus on in my film. That's something I can focus on in my film because now that we're 30 years later, we look at it through the lens of 30 years and I am able to go through the documents and photos and videos that people have never seen and be able to go through that and put it out to the public. So for example – the mutilations that occurred on and surrounding the ranch in the areas, of course there's physical evidence. I mean there's photos, there's carcasses, there's cuts, there's wounds, there's biological data. There's tons of, of, of evidence to that uh, phenomenon, that particular one, for example. Otherwise, you know, lights in the sky and filming them and photographing them, I don't know what that proves. But 
we can look at certain things. What about the creatures? What about the ideas of like the, the creatures or these things? I mean, is that, is that, uh, is that something that has been blown out of proportion? The idea, because I mean, people have legitimately like sent me emails and been like, "Oh yeah, there's like werewolves at Skinwalker Ranch," and there's like, I mean, is it is it legitimately have those ideas been pushed out of? And, and when you talk about, I want to say this too, when you talk about hunted it, are you talking about the idea of the 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 paranormal being um, an intelligent entity as itself, not necessarily hunting a single creature? Yeah, so the the way that I personally view this now from the experiences and the information that, that I've been able to see is that there is a phenomenon that is larger than just uh, entities or ships in the sky. However, hard physical ships in the sky caught on radar, like that is a fact that happens. Uh, but that seems to be one aspect of a much larger phenomenon. It appears that these uh, entities or these beings, as you're describing them, as one of the scientists described in the book of seeing this uh, huge creature crawl out of what looked like a glowing orange geometric porthole through the infrared range that he was viewing, right, through his uh, IR binoculars, right? Read this in the book. It's pretty amazing. It's one of the PhD scientists who was kind of like a non-believer. And then he has this dramatic encounter and he sees this thing. So even those beings and that kind of thing, yes, something is going on. These are not people who are frail minded. These are not people trying to prove their own theories. In fact, that story was only let out to you in the public because they were looking for other hotspots. So they re- related that story to you in George's and Colm's book. So yeah, I believe that people are having these experiences, that they're witnessing these things, let it be creatures or craft. You know, There is evidence for it, and it's so deeply ingrained within that culture and the society surrounding that area of the Uinta Basin. It's too much to think that it's not actually happening and even the police force itself i mean one of the creepiest things i experienced was a police officer pulling me aside really worried about my well-being because we were given for the first time ever rights to film um on the ute reservation and take that film footage off and to speak with law enforcement and none of them would go on the record with us as of yet (laughs) uh but they take all encounters seriously because they have been personally impacted. The community has been personally impacted by these experiences from, from oh. being shined down on by lights and then you know irradiated face cancer and die, you know, to all sorts of other type of kind of bizarre events. So it's a, it's very real to the people that live there and have to deal with it. And they want to know, is this truly paranormal? Or is this government? Because if it's government, then someone can be held accountable for the tragedies that have happened in those communities. Oh, that is a very astute point, Jeremy. I really like that. And all this really excites me because um, so many people have asked us about Skinwalker Ranch and, and to kind of look into it more and cover it. And like you're saying, there's so much mystery and it, it's so elusive that it doesn't seem that you can find a consistent... Um, kind of story or a consistent kind of research or a consistent kind of history and um you know kind of other than the things that you're going to be showing us which i just cannot wait for um i'm, I'm so excited for that when by the and, way is there is there an idea of when that might be yeah out? i was gonna ask that one yeah it'll be a summer release be, oh, beginning of 
beginning of summer, be summer release. Um, that's locked into the timeline. So I will put it out at that time. You know, there's tons of information to go through being that this is, you know, at least a 30 year story. Right. So yeah, I will give everything that I can give as well as <sighs> update people to the current situation. But this story will take many films to truly describe because it is like you're saying, one, it's elusive Two. It's intelligent, whatever this phenomenon is. I can say that much really confidently. This is not something that's just, you know, flight and fancy. There's something intelligent to it. And the experiences are all over the map. It's one of those places in the world where it's everything from entities to spacecraft, you know, to to hardcore UFOs. And it's hard to discount thousands and thousands of similar experiences viewed by multiple witnesses at multiple locations at the same time. And that's one case that I'll be showing a little bit about is a very kind of well-known case if you're in the basin, but not a well-known case outside of it where a craft hovers right over a building and everybody saw it. Hmm. Why there? Like, yeah, do they that, have any that, idea why, why, I mean, is, is it tied to the land? Does it, is it, does it live there? Why, why there? Yeah, your theory is as good as mine. Uh, I, I don't know why there. I think that's a question that even our own government, who's identified a series of hotspots within the United States and beyond, ask that question as well. So as we know, the Defense Intelligence Agency was interested and partnered with Robert Bigelow on trying to see if this held some sort of national security threat for America and Americans. Mm. So we know that. Now, they have identified other hotspots. And I think the question of why, why these places are hotspots, nobody knows that answer. Are there any other, I guess not well-known hotspots, but um, uh, hotspots that we that we might not know of that are as popular or as active, I guess I could say, as Skinwalker Ranch that you know about, Jeremy? Yeah, there, there are other areas that are as active. That was one of the reasons to do the book that George Knapp and Colin Kelleher did was to identify these other places, you know, for NIDS, you know, for that investigation branch of Bigelow Aerospace. And they did, they did find places. Now there's more fake, you know, and BS places out there where people like to claim that there's high activity and those were investigated and those weren't real. So there are other ones, but I think that information is pretty closely held by people because they, they don't want, you know, they want to look at it scientifically and, and they want to look at it without it being run over. So I'm not aware of any that I can say right here that are other places to go look that are great. I know the Uinta Basin is absolutely one that continues to have this incredible frequency of anomalous phenomenon. Hmm. You know how they have like some of those uh, places that you hear about, and I think there's one in California, and I haven't ever been to one, but where you know, they can kind of make the broom stand up straight or, you know, the the golf ball will roll uphill towards something yeah. or your mystery spot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, do you do you think that there or, you know, ley lines or those kinds of things? Like, do you have it? Do you think it has anything to do with, you know, those kinds of things that could could push this phenomenon into these uh, crazy realms? Yeah, I mean, I'm completely speculating because I, I don't know. Uh, however, there are geomagnetic anomalies all around uh, Skinwalker Ranch and the Uinta Basin that is well documented by the NIDS people, you know, where compasses just go crazy, that kind of thing. But maybe we're just seeing a symptom of something that's much grander, you mm. know, to say that ha- has, you know, anything to do with it. I really don't know. I mean, mm. for all we know, it could be belief, maybe belief of, of, of a culture 
allows these things to permeate our reality. It could be stranger than just geomagnetic anomalies. I mean, we really don't know. This is uncharted territory, and it's all speculation at this point. It's like Santa Claus in, the, in Elf, if you believe in him more than he's, his, his sleigh can fly. Well, you're, you're definitely, if, if you have a certain cultural belief, right. you're definitely going to describe a similar event or object that somebody with a different cultural belief would describe right. in a way that represents your culture or belief. Yeah. So that also plays a huge role in the way witnesses identify unknowns. That's true. I mean, it is interesting. I, I do notice that like every ghost video that I see out of say Japan, for example, tends to look like the grudge or the ring for some reason. Like that's just culturally, that's how ghosts manifest, whether it's, you know, or, or whatever it is like, that's, 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 yeah, that's interesting to yeah. me. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not really in that field at all. I mean, I guess I'm saying maybe I am. I don't know. I'm not, that's it's not all how tied together, Jeremy. It's all hey, one. You know, in the same. You're a bit, you know what, if you're a UFO guy, you're a Bigfoot guy, you're a Loch Ness guy, you're all, you're all of them, whether you admit uh, it or not. I got to swallow that. And, yeah. And that's going to take me a moment. Yeah. yeah you, I know. I understand your point. I think right? one of the, the saddest things is the division that people make between the UFO phenomenon and these other types of paranormal or poltergeist type phenomena, they, they absolutely seem to run amok with one another, you oh, know, everything. Yeah. And so we can't limit ourselves by just, you know, narrowing our focus. But, but I am always unimpressed because if a ghost can't do something that I can't do for myself, mm-hmm. you know, push a glass, close a door. I mean, at least they could do the laundry. I've just never really, <laughs> you know, really we, understood. We're the same way we have had, because we've had so many fascinating things happen to us. And our, our same questions are that same way. Like, why is it that one of them can use this device and one of them can touch you and one of them, you can hear a disembodied voice and one of them is a, a full body apparition or right, like what are the rules? There doesn't seem to be any, but I'm with you on that. It's very frustrating. You know, most of ghost hunting is seven hours of going, can you do it again? No? Okay. That's pretty much the whole exam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all good things, you know, take take patience. But, you know, I think it is important to look at these things, yeah, and from every perspective, you know, from a perspective of faith and a perspective of science, you know, maybe science is right. inherently limited at, at looking at these things. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, the, the, you know, proving beyond a quantifiable doubt that um, ghosts are real is something that's very difficult to do. However, it does seem like, you know, maybe down the road with... Because, I mean, there's there's a lot of these tie-ins. I mean, when you talk about government conspiracies, when you talk about government being aware of things, you know, uh, some of the stuff that we've um, talked about on this podcast before is, you know, things like the government knowing that Sasquatch exists and, and black ops units coming down. And, like, <laughs> we remember we covered a story one time where a government black op unit had come down um, and a worker had said they'd seen him during a forest fire effort where there was like literally a tent where they were attending to Sasquatches who had had burns from the uh, forest fire. And then this, it was this black ops unit that was the only ones that were allowed to come in and deal with them. And wow. so you, you start hearing these stories and you start hearing all of this stuff and you go, OK, well, all right. Now, if our government really is uh, aware of Bigfoot, aware of. Um, maybe some of these other monsters, these creatures, whatever it is, um, maybe some of these one-off creatures, the lizard man of West Virginia, the Mothman of these could be some sort of, as some people speculate, escaped creatures from these, these, if these underground facilities exist or, you know, places like Montauk, um, you know, all of these ideas. But when you start getting into this and you start realizing like how many different kind of paranormal stories or conspiracy stories or these kind of things start with, well, the government covered up this part of things, you know, you kind of go, okay, well, well, 
how how much of government is is dealing with us on the daily basis, and then how much of it is is miles and miles, you know, a hundred feet under the Pentagon or whatever down below where they're they're going. Oh, they're talking about gun control up there. Cool. We we have uh, seven spaceships um, circling Saturn right now. You know, which right. You know, it's like, how do you, how do you, like, is, is that the thing? Is there well, like, are we all fighting for the empire of the ants while the real people have, have the... Well, and I, on that same token, I was going to bring up Bigfoot as well. And in the idea that, like you're saying, Jeremy, it it very much has that uh, intelligence. And it seems like it's it's a much smarter creature. And oftentimes people think that it is paranormal, that it may be more than just a a mammal or you know something like, like an that. interdimensional so, being or yeah right mm-hmm. so I kind of wonder if the correlation is the same like you're saying that this there's there's an intelligence to this this you know what we perceive as paranormal activity but maybe because we just don't understand what this is hmm. yeah the, I mean the the events on the ranch very clearly outline that there is an intelligence that's looking at the whole picture the way that the you know the the occupiers of the ranch experienced these entities or lights or even UFOs it seemed to have a precognition like if they were talking about something and they were worried about something that's what it would then show or that's what it then attack or that's what it would then do is mess with those specific cattle that they were worried about so there seemed to be this knowledge of of what they were thinking what they were fearing and then it would kind of play with them by messing with those particular cattle or something like that. Hmm. So yeah, there, there seems to be an intelligence behind this phenomenon. However, it's really hard to say for sure because people have these one-off experiences. They're not looking for anything and then boom, out of the blue, they're hardcore skeptics and they hit an undeniable interaction, you know, with a craft or an entity or an abduction or something like that. So I don't know. Totally. The seeker's the finder, at least. I mean, you got to ask these questions. We got to ask the questions that you're asking on this podcast, or we're not going to get anywhere. Right. Now, and you also, in the beginning, and and I don't know if he's going to be uh, any any part of any of your upcoming projects, but you talked about Bob Lazar and his his claims. And what's fascinating about Lazar is that Lazar was kind of coming from a place that, like, look, something happened, we had an event, and we've been working from this event. You know, a lot of people, and there's there's all sorts of different ways of thinking in the UFO community. Uh, some people think that um, what happened at Roswell was an isolated incident. That, yes, a ship crashed. Nothing else has happened since then. And that we backwards engineered that. And that since then, that's where we got all of the things, fiber optics, night vision, all these things that kind of developed since the 50s in kind of this uh, excelled manner. Um but and when you look at what Bob he's saying, yeah, we had technology, we we're backwards engineering it. But did Bob ever say, Oh yeah, but while we're backwards engineering this craft, there's also aliens that are constantly coming down here and they're always visiting and they're always here and um we're you know, we're working on the nineteen seventy six Buick model and they're 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 flying around in new versions. We're hoping that one of those crashes. Yeah, I think what's frustrating for people with the Bob Lazar story is he's telling everybody what he experienced and he refuses to fabricate more information as time goes on to try to appease the masses. He's like, this is what I experienced. This is what I know to be true because I actually worked on the physics of this thing and I saw it for myself. And then here are some of the briefings that I read. And I don't know they're true. They were words on paper and pictures, but I read them. And so he's always you know, said, this is what I know and here's what I don't know. 
Now, he did see, according to Bob, nine flying saucers that all had the same, allegedly, gravity amplification system based on the element 115. And uh, this was the way he understood the crafts to work. He, he was inside of one. And so that's what he knows to be true. He, he did hear other information in the sense of what he was told or what he read on paper, but he can't validate that that is for sure. He has always told us the same story. He has stuck to that story and has not embellished or elaborated on it. However, after 30 years, you start to see that a lot of what he was claiming that there's not less evidence for, there's more evidence for. And that's what I find really interesting about doing this movie now is I'll be able to show you footage you've never seen from things that, you know, Bob's life and times in his life tell his story and show you where those things that he claimed have been revealed or haven't been revealed. So that should be interesting about the film. It should increase the veracity of the debate in a positive way because you're going to have more information to have that debate about. That is what I'm so excited about. I just, I really wanted some information on Skinwalker Ranch and things like that. And right. it's so mysterious. Yeah. But I just think it's so fascinating that uh, not only do you have information, it, you have scientific information and you have, you know, it in varying ways. And I'm, I'm so excited, Jeremy. I can't wait. See, and on top of that too, I think it's, um, I think it's interesting because everything that, again, that Lazar is saying was coming from, you know, I mean, when what year was he saying he was standing in a UFO? I mean, this was the 70s, the 80s? He, he was there for, no, it was 1989. That's when he publicly came out. So it was just before he publicly came out. And he didn't work for a long time out there. He very quickly lost all of his uh, ability to work out there. He had, right. you know, personal issues and started showing people where the, the craft was hovering and coming up over Papoose Lake. And he was taking friends out there. And if you believe his story to be true, you know, he really messed up. But he was scared. So 30 years, 30 years goes by. Now, let's imagine what 30 years times hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars that a lot of people. And again, you know, depending on how far down your rabbit hole goes, you know, we, we did discuss this last week that if for some reason the United States government was... Uh, and who are we saying if super far advanced uh, than we are, but to a point where it was like sci sci-fi advanced, like to a point sure. where you're going like we have, you know, we believe what um, the hacker found, what Gary, uh, I can't remember what was his last Gary name. McKinnon, McKinnon. Yeah. 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 Who found, and he said this or whatever. And you know, if, if, if this exists or, you know, um, but I, I like, I, I don't, I guess I don't, I don't understand like, like, if if that's if that's what we had it back then like now exponentially to think what they might have i think that we're not even in the in the same headspace i think that like back in the 70s and 80s people were thinking that like oh yeah a spaceship is aliens flying around like i know that as a kid in the 80s i didn't know what a drone was i didn't have the capability of understanding what a drone was and then the more that more that you hear about these crafts making these crazy um you know 90 degree turns these extreme velocities these um you know things that human beings or entities shouldn't be able to withstand you go okay well wouldn't it make sense that like i mean we send drones over to the middle east why wouldn't somebody send a drone across the universe why why is everything yeah, man yeah yeah i mean that's one of the theories and ideas you know if you reach into pop culture of ufos which is that they are traveling, let's say, far distance, but they're using gravity amplification. So their time travel or their, their time for travel, both actually, 
it's not that long. Yet some people believe greys to be biological, you know, cyborgs, basically entities that are not, uh, you know, have a soul. They're not flesh and blood, but they're made by biological material. Whoa. So th- that is very interesting. The idea of Mine's sending. I've never heard that theory. Yeah, a biological robot who can basically do the work that you need it to do. It's a hyper intelligence controlled by a, another <laughs> intelligence. And that's all it is, is a biological robot. You know, however, I find it, you know, of course you'd send drones. Maybe that's what the Tic Tac events were. Right. They were docking with a USO under the water, like a disc. So, right. you know, maybe that is the case. But then again, we get into that whole thing of, you know, are they traveling vast uh, distances in, in vast amount of time? Or, or is this something that can be achieved through gravity amplification where it's almost instantaneous right. as, as you? I'm just going to zap on over to Earth real quick and come home. Yeah, there, there's actually there is a, a cycle within a gravity wave that, that it has a does have like a a certain you know temporal limit to it if you believe Bob's story. So mm-hmm. there's you know you can make these little jumps as you go, but yeah, relatively it's extremely fast to get from one place to the other if you're able to warp gravity. Now again, if you're able to do that, everything in sci-fi would be possible. I mean, this is a fierce technology. If one could, you know, harness it and harvest it, it's a very fierce technology. It's not like you can learn how to create nuclear power to give everybody energy in the world and not know how to make a nuclear bomb. You know, that's the problem with these extreme technologies. Soon we will have lasers commercially available. I don't know what they're going to do. They could essentially start the nuclear reaction. You know, an atomic bomb works in two basic phases, and you need to be able to heat up the initial material. And lasers are becoming close enough that they're doubling in power all the time that we're going to have the ability to do that. So we are going to have to curb our own technology just based on what's already out there. So imagine, isn't that a good reason to hold some of it back? Now, I don't know or truly believe that we have mastered any of that. I think if we mastered that, we had some super secret government in there that that is able to do these things on a mass scale and have these craft and control them like Gary McKinnon talked about, these non-terrestrial officers, I think there would be more evidence for that. But, you know, it'd be neat if I was wrong. Yeah, you know, I I agree. But I mean, it's like when you really start, I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page as you, but when you really start going, okay, but then, you know, when you think about like where these things would come from. Right, like uh, Pine Gap, for example, which is in the middle of Australia, surrounded by hundreds of miles of nothing, and it's rumored that you know, I mean, we know that it's it's a it, it's a joint uh, you know uh, endeavor between our government and and Australia, and you go, okay, well, we're technically out there to you know test drones or test whatever the you know, I mean, there's 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 all sorts of things like like you said, if if gravity is a thing, we don't have to blast off through the air. We don't have to do that. Maybe we can just boom, and you're somewhere else. I mean, who knows? It could be as simple as that. You know, the Montauk idea is that the kids could sit in a room and be on Mars, or you know, the guy who said he went back and uh, was at the who was it? The guy from Mod that said he went back to the Gettysburg Address, and then there was the picture of him, and he tells the whole story about like just being there, and he saw the yeah, the thing. Yeah. You know, and you go through that, and you go, okay, well, you know, so why are we still developing propulsion? if if it's that easy if we're if we're somewhere at some sub level of, of area 52 learning how to fall into gravity why you know are they just doing propulsion are they just doing rockets are we just firing spacex rockets to keep the monkeys in you know satisfied 
Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of speculation and theory and all these ideas. You know, we can't destabilize the fossil fuel industry within America and that these you know, technologies are fierce and are powerful. And you can't separate weaponization from the good effects that you would have. So, of course, every nation would keep things secret because they want a technological advantage. And so that is the argument that you would make. My, my argument is essentially that I don't necessarily see evidence of that, that anything has really changed. Actually, to my understanding, from the, the sources and the people that I do trust that would be in a position to know some of these things, is that we haven't been able to crack the material science aspect of this. That if you are theorizing you have a gravity wave amplification system, you need an atomically perfect resonance machine to basically be able to push these gravity waves in perfect unison to, to be able to use them. So the material science, we don't have an atomic printer yet in zero gravity. We don't have that. That would be required to make something atomically perfect because any little bit of gravity would make us a, a sphere, not a sphere anymore. Right. So I think that it's much more plausible if we have technologies from another advanced civilization that it's like dropping an iPhone into the stone age. There's going to be literally no way to, to fabricate these technologies right. on our own. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, 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 that's really interesting, you know? And, and, it, and again, that just kind of plays into the ideas that governments, I mean, D Danny, you've always had this amazing uh, idea. We talked about it last week, but I, I like this. I'm going to bring it up again. The idea that, um, and, and you said this, how you've never seen a, a UFO, all the UFOs that you ever saw looked like they were of the time. Right. You right. Know? You know, like if you see a UFO in the fifties, it looks very much of the time and the materials that they would be uh, have access to and, and things like that. And that they kind of advance with the ages. They, they always seem to kind of mimic their era of, of yeah. earth time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, what I mean. Well documented, you know, historically and Jacques Vallée has done a lot of great work on this, which is, you know, showing that in the 1800s, you have airships right around the time when we're getting dirigibles. So the UFOs tended to mimic inflatables rather than the stealth craft yeah. that we have now. So there is an element of that for sure. Well documented. You can categorize that and you can look through that and that is true. However, a lot of that has to do with interpretation. So when you look at the miracle of Fatima, but you look at it through a technological standpoint, it's pretty incredible the way priests and you know peasants and doctors and all these different people were describing this event of a so-called religious miracle, when in fact there was a UFO, a metallic craft that, that is reported, depending on how you listen to the descriptions. So maybe some of what we're describing is because we're living in the era that we're living in. Right. And if we look at these descriptions differently, they're more contemporary. Yes, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a, a been a long um debated topic and, and kind of a hot issue is um, if whether or not people from different times were mistaking a religious events for, um, I, I, I don't know if we want to Paranormal say or... Yeah, yeah. UFO-related, mm -hmm. but those kinds of things, like, you know, the kind of right. that bright light in the sky and, an, and a person or a being descending down right. or, you know, coming into your room in the middle of the night, just... Weird things like that. I mean, even the idea of the of the Immaculate Conception has kind of been proposed as something. Right. I mean, which which would kind of insemination. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And which I mean, I don't know if that would allude to aliens at that point or what, because that was so long ago. But 
But still, even that, it's, it's it's always comparable. Well, and you know, Danny and I were out in our front yard one time, and we saw, um, we've seen a few weird lights in the sky, but we were out in our front yard one time, and we saw this bright light, and as we kind of noticed it, it got really bright, like it opened up like a spotlight, like bl- bright and really bright, and then just went out, like it pulled away from us. And, and like receded from Earth at like a... Like, like it, whew, yeah, yeah, like it pulled back. I mean, we can both describe, we both know what we saw. But not for one second did either of us go, the Lord shined his light upon us this eve as we were, no, because we both are now having other things to compare it to and other, you know, so we weren't, we weren't inspired to go and, 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 you know, live our lives for the Lord. We were like, oh, we saw a weird light in the sky. So contextually, you're right. You're absolutely right. We compare it to what we know. Yeah, you compare it to what you know, what you believe, and then also what if there is um, some sort of manipulation by the phenomenon? So what if what you want to see you're then given some sort of uh, message from that. And, you know, sure as shit, you get that message and you're thinking, well, this has got to be, this has got to be something, you know, religious, you know, this is an authority figure. It's some sort of angel, a light in the sky. Now, look, it could be, I I don't know. I don't have those answers, but it shows historically that the phenomenon does interact with human beings on a very personal level, giving them you know, creative narratives and also giving them similar narratives sometimes about, you know, children that are picked up in some famous cases they're told about, you know, the destruction of Earth and the problems with nuclear weapons right around the, the building of the atomic age. So you have to wonder, is it in the zeitgeist and these things are reflecting like mirrors back to us or are they intentionally embedding human beings with these ideas and concepts for its own purpose? And that we don't know. Right. right. Well, it's and, like, go, go ahead. no, please. Are you sure? Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, and it kind of along that same line, we've, we've also kind of thought that, uh, especially if this were a government operation, these, these kind of things that we were mistaking as UFO, it would almost better serve them to push the UFO narrative because it does kind of keep that secretive nature around what they're doing. It's kind of like, fine, let them believe it's aliens, you know, then they don't know about the technology that we have. Um, so there's kind of that aspect too that I I wonder if they if they do push that narrative like you're saying to to keep secrecy around what they're doing. Oh yeah, I mean historically at times they they certainly have right. I, I've talked to pilots who who said I I've been the UFO, you know I've been in a secret you know test plane and I have flown it and people have called me an unidentified flying object right. right? Oh. Um, but but at the same time. We're talking about technologies that are based upon traditional propulsion. I mean, there's no way around that. It, you know, the, most of these things that we're talking about, they're extraordinary. I mean, L turns at 90,000 miles an hour, doing maneuvers we could never do, you know, coming in and out uh, of essentially existence is what it appears like from an energy level. So these extreme things we're talking about, look, I, <laughs> we, that's not us. It's just not us. It, it would be so, I would be so impressed. I was let down actually when I found out some of the realities about this, that it wasn't us. I was so hoping we had cracked that anti-gravitic <laughs> code. Whatnot. From what I understand, we haven't. Uh, you know, I'd love to be proved wrong. But remember, right. these accounts go back way before modern day military. And That's if true. there was a specific branch of the military, which was a government within the government, which had these technologies. They're certainly not sharing it the re- with the rest of the government because, remember, there is no the government. I mean, it's made up no. of individuals. It's our government. It's us, right? So it's individuals running these different compartmentalized programs. But they are as interested as the general public, apparently, in these things. Hmm. 
Yeah, well, I mean, and when you look at it, and again, going back to, you know, the ideas of why, you know, why the government would, um, you know, we talked last week, why would the government, why would the government fake astronaut programs? Why would the government fake NASA? Why would there be a, a video of an astronaut trying to do a flip in space and three other astronauts looking panicked and one reaching over and grabbing what appears to be his wire holding him up in the, in the, in the air. Why would any of that need to exist? You know, you, you, you kind of have to look at that and go, okay, well, if I'm looking at this and this is a fake video of fake astronauts on a green screen who are not really at the ISS, why does NASA have the, why do they have the need to fake any of this? Why is any of this smoke screen? What, well, it's for my benefit. Okay, well, if it's for my benefit, then what am I watching this for? I'm probably watching it because if I'm looking over here and, and with anything, then it's because the money is going over here. If we can tell you we have all these people in space and we're putting them up there and we're, I mean, telling you they're up there and filming a green screen scene is a far less uh, expensive endeavor than actually doing it. And then we get all of this billions and trillions of dollars of, fu- of financing. We funnel it into black ops programs, into Area 51, into Pine Gap, into all of these secretive uh, places to you know work on things like drones or the TR-3B or this uh, gravity inertia, whatever it is. Then, you know, that's that's why it makes sense. So you kind of go, OK, well, you know, if if this kind of thing exists, if I if I soldier that you've talked to has stood inside a ufo and he's seen it and he's been in it then you know what i mean like why are we why are we why are we messing around why are we doing anything why are we treading water with lesser technologies yeah you're talking about what the reality is compared to what's being you know told to the public and and for what reason is the public being shielded from this greater reality. And right. it's a huge question. And it's really annoying because none of us want to be under the thumb of our daddy, you know, in adulthood. <laughs> right, it's, it's, it's really annoying. I was just thinking, you know, this astronaut thing you're talking about, I need to look at the video, but that's really funny. What if it was just something really simple, like you know, a child leash? You know how the people have those leash, you know, leashes for children yeah. so they don't go far. Maybe they just needed, you know, so the astronaut doesn't move the wrong way in zero g and fall to the side in the middle of the interview. Maybe it's just to suspend them upright to It'd keep them really in the shot. Yeah, the I'll send it was to you. Simple? To be honest, I'll send it to you. It's yeah. an interesting clip. I mean, you see him do the flip, and then you see the guy reach over and grab what looks like a wire that's holding. You can see where it's actually holding his pants up. You can see it pulling on the pants. And, and it's just it's fascinating. I mean, I'm I'm kind of I'm half I'm half and half on this. I'm I'm somewhat with you, Jeremy, in the idea that maybe it's some kind of stabilization thing that they don't want him to move for the shot, you know. Um it's just so funny because Why the, CG it out then? Well <laughs> why, right. why green screen it out if it's just Gra- meant to stabilize it? Just hold your pants up. Right. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're going, look, we're, we're on we're on these things because I have to stay here in the shot, then explain that to me. Don't go to the trouble to green screen it out. Right. And and what I was going to say is when this uh, when this kind of interview opens up or whatever, they, they kind of say to him, I and I'm, I'm don't quote me on this, but along these lines, he says, you know, what do, what do you have to do to prove that you're up there in space? You know, and he says, oh, maybe I'll do a flip for you. So it's weird that they even have to say, why do you why do we need to right. prove that you're up there? But right. all of that aside, the astronaut stuff aside. The ones that are more fascinating to me are some of the stuff where they're on the moon. And those things really look like when they go to fall, something pulls them up, but they don't even need to use their knees. Or, right. You know, yeah. There's, yeah. those are a lot more like, you know, what the heck. Yeah. So. And, and I mean, then you start getting into, you know, the whole, um, uh, you know, why, the, the, the theories that we're, we've actually have, you know, habitated the moon and that there are sections of our government that are actually up there right now um, mining 
is it the helium helium three, which is a um, supposedly a, an element that that can work in in propulsion and, and all of this other stuff. Oh, yeah, and there's... that's very coveted after. And Bigelow Aerospace has you know been aiming for that for a long time. I think he'd be super bummed if he found out somebody's already done it. Well, there's <laughs> have you ever seen the videos of like people who have been able to track like what looks like um, uh, tracks that go across the moon, down into craters, come up the other side, pipes that look like they come out of craters and go in, um, run from uh, you know here. To the, I mean, there's 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 literally like this thing where like somebody was tracking a picture and you can see the the tracks all the way and then it appears like there's something in the middle of the trackway that's either moving or something. There's there's all sorts of fascinating things and that yeah, gets man, into I, moon waves and all that. Seven, seven years with, with with John Leary, you know, he's the godfather of conspiracy when it comes, especially to the moon stuff. And he's the guy that brought a lot of that forward to the public. Right. So yeah, I've heard all the theories. I've I've seen a lot of it. So, you know, look, there's so there's much more that I don't know that I do know. Right. So some of that information is really fascinating and it does create this big question mark. And, you know, going into these things and looking at them with a rational mind and trying to understand it, asking questions. I mean, wouldn't it be great to ask one of those astronauts that you're talking about or why he had a, you know, sus- you know, gravity suspenders on? <laughs> right. You know, so it's like getting to the bottom of it is I think is what's really important. It's, it's the, the, the question is the most important. Because without that, you don't know where to go. But once you have your questions, it's getting to the bottom of them and asking them directly. And I think that's what's of value is not just asking, getting the question, but also asking about it. So what questions can we expect you to answer or ask next? I mean, you're, you've, you've, you know, patient 17 was amazing. We're literally going to be holding our breath until the skinwalker comes out. I mean, I don't know how yes. we're going to function now yes. knowing that that's coming. But what, what's, yeah, it'll be what's next? What's, yeah, uh, what's well, after that? So, you know, you make a good point. What are the questions? I mean, that's what I'm really hoping to do is pose certain questions and leave people with certain questions because, you know, you guys are an army of people as far as the audience listening and I'm just one person with a camera. So, you know, what are the questions that we can leave people with? So for the Skinwalker film, I think the central question for me is what evidence do we have and what is it evidence of? And then what is the understanding of the people who engage these experiences and what is it that they want to know? And, right. and how can we help them get those answers? And then for the Bob Lazar film, my central question has always been, what if Bob Lazar is telling you the truth? Now, to get to that point, you need to trust in what he's saying to a degree to even ask that question. So part of the film will be giving you a more personal look at who Bob is so you can start to, to discern for yourself if you feel that he's telling you a story that's worthy of your attention. So that's what you can look forward to with my work. I'm also excited. I'll be at the Utah UFO Festival coming up in uh, May, 25th and 26th. And you guys are in Utah. What? Really? We have a, we I, have I, a festival? Right. Wait, there's a festival? <laughs> we didn't there know about sure that. There sure is, you guys. Yeah, Where? It's, uh, it's in uh, Cedar City. Down, it'll be okay. a Main Street in Park in downtown. And... Um, yeah, I just I watched this festival begin to grow for, you know, if it's in its third year, I think, and I'm real excited to be supporting it and going to it and being able to give presentations about Skinwalker Ranch, actually. Okay. Oh, sweet. So, well, maybe we'll have to yeah, try to get down there and call. see you, Jeremy. So. <laughs> we're gonna have yeah. to call and see what we need to do to get down there. That's amazing. I've I'm, never I've never been, so it should be really exciting. And yeah, yeah. you guys should definitely come down. Yeah, awesome. we'd love to. Well, thanks be, for letting us know about that. I'm. I had I'm no idea so that was excited. happening. Yeah. That's amazing. That's super cool. Um. Thanks backyard yeah yeah well cedar city is uh cedar city is about what four hours away 
it's south. It's uh, kind of down by, well, it's kind of by St. George. I mean, it's a lot faster if you get there by UFO. Yeah, and then St. George is kind of like the last big Utah city on the way to Vegas from here. But so, but we could get down there very easily. I'd, I'd that's that's awesome. Head over um, the metal, man. You'll make it. Yeah, oh, I hope yeah. to see you guys there. That's amazing. Um, look, Jeremy, I I have to say thank you for for um, first of all for for taking the time to come on here. But I mean, I also want to thank you for 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 taking the time to make these films. Um, you know, like we were talking about with with anybody who presents this stuff. Um, and we know this uh, as people who have talked about this stuff of as you know paranormal investigators who have prevent, presented uh, haunted footage and and whatnot. You you do you get a, you get you get half the people going, man, that's really cool. That's oh, that's super cool. And the other half calling you a liar and telling you you're crazy. So it's really awesome when people stick by their guns and tell the stories that need to be told. Because I mean, who else was going to make this documentary? Right? Who else was going to do this? And so it's awesome that you you decided that that it should be you. Well, I, I'm less concerned that you know when you create something that, of course, there's always going to be people that rightfully so love it or hate it. But to me, that's not what it's about. At, at that point, I've done my job. You know, I, I've told that story to the best of my ability, and more importantly, I've shown you you know something that we would never have gotten to that point without the film. So the the praise and blame on something that's got to just wash over you what i encourage everybody to do like what you're doing with your podcast sometimes we're right sometimes we're wrong sometimes we nail it sometimes we don't but you have to do something you have to start participating in the conversation of the things that you are most interested in rather than just being passive consumers of that information and everybody has a different ability and a way to do that and so that's why I think it's really great. I was turned on to your podcast. You guys started talking about the movie. Great. I just want to clarify a few points that, you know, this is an ongoing investigation and I'm showing the belief systems of the people involved, but we want to get answers for patient 17. That's my message to you guys. Right. But what you guys are doing with your podcast, I think it's important, you know, get the information out there, ask the hard questions. And more importantly, cause you're already asking questions, try to find some of the answers. Right. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's it, it, like, like you and you know this full well, once you kind of start down any one of these paths, um, it's really hard to turn back because once you kind of open your mind to the possibilities that any of this is real, even one iota of this is real, it changes literally the entire way you see the world because it just that the idea of being able to go, hmm, maybe just is so big. And I think that, you know, presenting this in a way that isn't, you know, hammering the the paranormal aspect of it down the throat because I mean that's really what it is. Monsters, you go okay, a monster is a magical thing until you take it away. You know, and you go okay, what well, what would it really be? And that's that's what's I think fascinating about Patient Seventeen is that we we do talk about that from a from a very uh, scientific and fact based way. I dig it, and I can't wait to see what else. And where can people find all of your work? I mean, I know Patient Seventeen is on Netflix right now, but can can where can everybody find you and and find all of all of the things and and stay up to date with everything you're doing? Yeah, sure. I'm the most reachable guy in internet history, apparently. It's super easy. You just go to extraordinarybeliefs.com and all of my work is there as well as all the kind of social media and stuff like that. And I update it all the time when I when I have you know new releases or trailers or films. So that's kind of the hub, extraordinarybeliefs.com. Go there, check it out. There's so much free information on there. I mean, just you could spend you know months going through that information. So enjoy it. Um, 
and yeah, I just keep doing what you guys are doing, and I'll tune in now that I know about your podcast, Area Fifty Two, baby. It's pretty great. Thank oh, you. thanks, I, Jeremy. We, we we're just so happy to have you. I I really hope we have you back soon. Yeah, and and I I'll send you the videos. Uh, let's stay in touch. I I I think I mean you've got such a fascinating way of thinking, and it's I just kind of cool life. Yeah, right. Like MMA MMA fighter to uh, you know jujitsu champion to to champion of the. Of the UFO community, it's a pretty amazing, a pretty amazing story. Uh, more like Inspector Crusoe, just stumbling along like Pink Panther style. You know, there's nobody that's an expert on this, but what we can do is we can try our best to move the needle forward. So, right. yeah, look out for those two films coming up. You know, anytime, let me know. I'll join your show again, but uh, just keep it up, man, and I'll talk to you both of you soon. Okay, thanks awesome. so much. Thank Jeremy. you so much, Jeremy. Have a wonderful okay, week. Take care, you guys. Have a good night. See you, Jeremy. Wow. What an awesome conversation. That was... With an insanely cool dude. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to put all my words together right now. I'm just... I'm super excited for the Skinwalker thing and uh, grateful that he was able to come on here and clarify some of those details for us. And I just... I don't know. I'm, I'm so excited. What a cool life he has, right? We've never actually been able to speak with somebody until right now, until today, who has actually spent time on Skinwalker Ranch, right. who has seen the phenomenon, who has filmed the phenomenon, I think that's fascinating. I cannot, I cannot wait to see his film. So I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. Um, so yeah, from talking about alien implants and um, and and Area 51 secrets to um, apparently being able to be the first person allowed to ever film and document the incredible happenings at Skinwalker Ranch. What an amazing episode and what a cool, cool interview with director Jeremy Corbell. Such a cool guy. Again, um, go find him online, follow him. And uh, I mean, just honestly, I'm blown away by what we talked about today. Super excited. What a great episode. All right. Well, on behalf of everybody here at 50 area 52 uh, on behalf of, Danny and Sasha, the missing Melissa who didn't make it this week. Um, man, and a huge thanks to director Jeremy Corbell for being our special guest this week. Thank you so much for joining us for this very special edition of Area 52. And hey, we'll see you next time. <laughs>